Today's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are cursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Commitments. When commitments matter, they change our lives. One uh, professional athlete, Martina Navratilova, once said that there's a big difference between commitments and, say, involvement. She said it's like the difference between eggs and ham. When it comes to eggs, that chicken is involved, but when it comes to ham, that pig is committed. Commitments often ask us to give of something beyond ourselves for a greater purpose. Think about some of the commitments that we make, like earning a degree at school, playing on a sports team, signing a mortgage. The commitments then shape the choices that we make, say working on our homework or hanging out with friends going to the soccer team practice or going to the movies, paying the mortgage or paying for a trip we want to take. Our commitments, if we are committed to them, will automatically answer those questions for us. Some of the commitments that we make shape not only our choices, they shape our lives. Joining the military, getting married, having children, entering a career. These are commitments that not only shape our choices, shape our lives, but there are some that even more change who we are. When we commit our lives to Jesus Christ and put our trust in Him to be our Savior, 
the one who gives us grace, that is a commitment that changes who we are from the inside out, head to toe, and shapes our choices, our lives, and everything. And our sermon series that we started last week, it's called Commitments That Will Change Your Life. We invite each one of us to commit our lives once more and again to Christ and see how Christ uses those commitments to change our lives. We'll hear from members of the congregation each Sunday who have made these commitments and how God has used those commitments in them as we commit ourselves once more and again to these core values and ways we live out faith through worship, missions, prayer, small group Bible study, and more. Last week we focused on worship. Today we focus on mission. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we work once more to place ourselves in your hand by your mercy and grace as we commit ourselves once more and again to you and pray that you would grow us through those commitments that we make. And Lord, today we pray that our thoughts, our meditations, our words would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Oh Lord, our rock, our redeemer, and our refuge. And all God's people said, Amen. Someone asked a rabbi once to describe the difference between heaven and hell. Hell, he said, is a place where the tables are wide and long and the food is good and rich. But the spoons and forks at the tables are six feet long, so long that the people at the tables cannot pick them up or bend their arms in such a way that they can reach their own mouths. The people at the tables are hungry and starving. They complain about the size of the spoons. The people at the tables then are surrounded by delicious food but cannot eat it. Heaven, he said, is a place where the tables are wide and long and the food on the tables is good and rich. But the spoons and forks at the tables are six feet long, so long that the people are not able to pick those spoons and forks up in such a way or bend their arms that they can reach their own mouths. The people at the tables are well-fed and happy. What's the difference? Those spoons they found out cannot reach their own mouths, but they reach the people on the other side of the table quite nicely. They are thankful for the size of the spoons because they allow them to feed one another. They are surrounded by delicious food and have plenty and more to share. Jesus tells a similar story about such a difference in our scripture that Chrissy read for us today from Matthew's gospel. In that story, what's going on? It comes at the end of this 
couple of chapters where Jesus has been teaching about the coming of the end of the age, what we call also the parousia, the eschaton. And in that, Jesus has been teaching people to live by compassion and mercy, making the most of any time that we have, and not to be legalistic, he warns. And so when we get to this part in chapter 25, Jesus begins by telling this story and says that Jesus acts as a judge over all the peoples as they gather. And he splits them into two groups, like a shepherd would split the flocks. Flocks in that culture were often mixed between sheep and goats. And they took a little different manner of care. The Goats like to have a little more protection from the cold. The sheep liked to be out in the air. Sheep were worth more in the economy, so the shepherds did a little better job carefully taking care of them. Jesus likewise separates the herd of people into two groups, sheep and goats. He does this separating by a single criteria, not by what they believe or what their doctrine is, but by their behavior. Jesus puts on his right side the sheep and says that these are the ones who have fed him when he was hungry, gave him something to drink when he was thirsty, clothing when he was naked, welcomed him when he was a stranger and visited him when he was in prison and took care of him when he was sick. But the people on his right do not remember doing any of those things for Jesus. And then he gives them that famous line, If you have done it, as you have done it, for any of the least of these, you have done it for me. And their reward was eternal life. Meaningful, purposeful life beyond themselves that had already begun because they were already living in these compassionate and merciful ways. Jesus put on his left side, and my apologies to you if you sat on the left side of the congregation this morning, (laughs) the goats. (laughs) And these were the persons who had not done those compassionate things for him. And they did not remember avoiding it. What they earned for their behavior in Jesus' story is eternal punishment. What do we learn from such a story? We learn that if we take it literally, as some people like to do with Scripture, our behavior towards someone in need matters greatly. It can lead to and begin eternal life. And the lack of such compassion and action takes us out of the running and puts us at those tables where the forks and spoons are long and we don't have eyes or hearts to see someone on the other side. So to be sure we get it right, we could make a checklist out of it. What do you think? As Barbara Brown Taylor suggests, we could make a six-point checklist. Get us uh, one hungry person, one thirsty person, one naked person, one stranger, one person in prison, and one person in the hospital. And in order to follow this literally, we could bring them food and water and clothes and welcome them and go to prison to see them and take care of them when they're sick. One, two, three, four, five, six, we're done with that scripture and we can get on to being who we were before. Or maybe if you're a type A person, you might do the list twice and then mark it off as done. 
except I don't quite think that's what Jesus had in mind. It does not always work to take Scripture literally. Take it seriously, yes, absolutely. Take it seriously, but not necessarily literally. Jesus had warned us about that back in Matthew 23 when he said being literal tends to not make us more like Jesus. It tends to make us more legalistic and prescriptive and judgmental and less authentic. And therein lies the problem, Jesus said. What I want to point out in this story is the notion of surprise that is in it for both camps and see what that tells us. The surprise in the passage tells me that it's not meant to be taken literally, though we could choose worse scriptures with which to do that. The goat people had no idea they were not doing what Jesus wanted them to do. When did we see you? They asked. The sheep people were likewise surprised too. They had no idea that they were serving Jesus when they were serving someone in need. They were also surprised by the reward that came with it, which means they were not working toward it. It was who they were. Deep down in their hearts, they were committed to a life of missions. God's grace for another was in their behavior. It's just who they were. Dr. Greg Carey points out about this passage that judgment here simply brings out a reality that has been present all along because Jesus knew each person's heart and saw in it how they lived He knew how they treated, saw, and responded to others or didn't. The sheep got it right because they're already living in compassionate and merciful ways. Someone has said that the world hears the gospel when it sees it. When the hungry are fed, the thirsty given water, the lonely made family, the naked given coats, the estranged reconciled, and the sick and imprisoned visited, we know God's grace by the fruit it produces. It's like Dr. Albert Schweitzer said, make my life be my argument for faith in God. The sheep were simply living out what they believed. Like those who, in Pastor Jeff's sermon last week, were abiding in Christ in worship. When we abide in the vine of Christ, it produces fruit, good fruit, fruit that will last, fruit that will make a difference in this world, fruit that recognizes the dignity and worth of every single human being and sees in them across a wide and long table the very eyes of a brother or sister in Jesus Christ. We don't always know how to live like that. It's hard. I remember in a previous church, we were part of a mission and ministry in which we would have persons who were homeless sleep in the church for a week at a time. It was a program that the city had. 
And so twice a year we'd have a group of persons come in and sleep all through the church. We'd fix breakfast for them and meals. And I was helping with the suppers there again one night and we'd set out the plates along there at the edge of the kitchen and the men would pick them up and families and take them out in the fellowship hall to eat. And we'd eat in the kitchen. They'd eat in the fellowship hall. And one of the men in our group took his plate of fried chicken and went out into the fellowship hall and sat down at one of the tables and started a conversation with the men so that they were not only sharing fried chicken, they were sharing some stories too. And the rest of us in the kitchen looked at each other and thought, why didn't we think of that? And we followed suit and we took our plates of fried chicken and green beans and mashed potatoes and we went out there and sat at the same tables and sat beside and amongst these persons who were homeless. And we had a delightful meal together in conversation. We got to know each other as the week went on. We played with their children. We had pickup soccer games in the church yard. We got as much sidewalk chalk as we could find and decorated every piece of sidewalk and parking lot that we could find with those kids. And it was sad when we said goodbye to them at the end of the week. This is what Jesus had in mind. Building relationships and seeing the dignity and worth of every human being on the other side of that table and going over there to join them in a meal. That's why we do what we do here at Ebenezer. It's why we share meals on the fourth Saturday of every month with persons who are homeless. It is why we cook meals to take them to people at the Thurman Brisbane Homeless Shelter. It's why we collect food for Serve Food Pantry. It's why we support Stafford Food Security and put together uh, school supplies and backpacks for kids who need them. It's why we buy coats for children in local elementary schools who need them this winter. It's why we help with the cold weather shelter with Micah Ministries. It's why we will do Angel Tree again year after year. It's why we cut wood for people who need heat in the winter. It's why our sewing groups put together clothes and blankets for cancer patients and babies and persons who are in need. It's why we do Kairos Prison Ministry. It's why we took Imagination Library books and food out to kids in the last week or two. It's why we do ministry in Sierra Leone and Costa Rica too. Because each of us is a child of God and everyone around us is too. And treating others as if they are Jesus matters. It was never meant to be a checklist. It's meant to be a way of life. We talked to some of our church members who are committed to missions and ask them how God has changed their lives through these commitments. Bob and Linda Hagen serve faithfully at the Thurman Brisbane Shelter and Lisa Fravel at the fourth Saturday meals. Let's watch this video and hear them tell us how it changes them. I think that serving at Brisbane has helped uh, grow my faith and, and perhaps our faith of together is in a kind of a simple but profound way really it is that by making and keeping a commitment that is motivated by your faith uh, that simple act reinforces the the whole reason 
for doing it. And particularly when uh, it's not, you know, the, those rare occasions when it's not convenient where you don't really feel like it. So the, for whatever reason, it, I have never been to uh, Brisbane without leaving, uh, feeling, you know, both God's grace uh, kind of washed over me and blessed just by having been been able to do something that I recognize as demonstrating love for God and but love for others. And we, I think everyone wants to do that, certainly are Christians, but we don't always know how. And the Brisbane experience makes it pretty simple. And uh, I've appreciated that. Yes, I agree. It's just the whole Brisbane uh, monthly meal experience is just now, it's just part of our life. It's part of our um, routine that is just built into our our life, something we just do. And um, as a commitment, um, that's I, for me, that's really strengthened my, um, my faith as well. When I first started coming here, the first Sunday Joe and I came, Mark Miller was preaching on the um, five love languages by Gary Chapman. And so Joe was immediately, we got to figure out what our love languages are and all that. And I figured out my love language was acts of service. So definitely that's, so that's what I like. So that's what I tend to, you know, show love by serving others. So I think that uh, we made the commitment to serve at, at Brisbane uh, with an intention to demonstrate that the blessing in our life could be shared. And one way to do that is that we were kind of struggling with, frankly, was just time. How do you give of yourself? Uh, and Brisbane presented an opportunity to do that. You know, I think that that, that uh, has really just, we've gotten it, you know, anything that we've invested in terms of time, we've received, you know, compound interest back. It's a, uh, you know, something that we look forward to and you know, we enjoy. I have always been shy by nature, um, and since serving with the fourth Saturday meals, um, I, I have learned that I need to focus on relationships and not just busy work and that kind of stuff. Um, I was always kind of the Martha type where, I, you know, there was always so much to do and I needed to get that done, and I've learned that I need to be more like Mary and focus on relationships and, and resting at Jesus' feet and that. so. For Saturday meals before COVID, we had, you know, 80 to 90 people that would come in and have meals. And I was all about, you know, we got to feed them, we got to feed them kind of thing. And then I've learned Paul Wade was the one who was um, sort of the head person at that point. And he was always coming out and talking to the people and trying to have relationships with them and, and mingling about with people. And it was like, okay, I see this being modeled for me. I need, I know I need to be doing this. So I would definitely step out of my comfort zone and go and try to talk to people. And so I've developed some wonderful relationships with some of the people I've learned not to be so shy and that God will give me the words to use and the strength to be in front of these people. Um, I've learned to look around in the community for them um, and just go up to people that I never would have done before. I, I know things to say now. I know how to talk to people more now and I can go up to you know these strangers. Um, a lot of them aren't strangers anymore, but I can go up to people and you know just ask them you know kinds of things they need. 
Um, and I always tend to bring food in the car with me now and so I can stop and offer food to people and that kind of thing. And I think for me that the just the whole um, commitment to helping your, your local community um, is so important. Um, I've always wanted to do something like serving at Brisbane and serving in the community and um, I'm just so thankful that the opportunity um, came to us through uh, worshiping at Ebenezer. I just think everybody needs to do something in terms of serving. Um, Jesus didn't call us just to learn about all the things that are in the Bible. He, he wants you out there doing those things. So, you know, take it to heart and know that you need to be living your life by doing the things that Jesus talks about in the Bible. Thank you, Bob and Linda and Lisa, for sharing your stories. What's your story of how God is inviting you to live out your faith in missions, in making a difference, in seeing the eyes of Christ in someone else? I've been doing missions my whole life, uh, 20-some mission trips, and every time I go, I feel like Jesus pushes a reset button in my heart to reset again my priorities about what matters and what doesn't so that God keeps growing me little by little, day by day in grace. I asked a couple of friends of mine too who are very committed to missions knowing that this sermon series was coming. How does God use this commitment to change who you are? And one of them said to me, she's done 40-some mission trips. She's lost count. She said, the first one I did with my church many moons ago, I found myself that first night sleeping under a mosquito net on the floor with insects I had never seen before in a third-world country. And I realized when I went to bed that I had given 100% of myself to something that day. And I had gotten 200% back. And it was the first time I could remember giving all of myself to something far beyond who I am and watching God grow it in grace. And she said, I learned on that trip that it's not that I went to help them, but we're all broken in one way or another. And God uses us to help each other along the way. And after I got home, she said, I was hooked, hooked on Jesus hooked on missions, and I decided I would never go back to my other way of life. The second friend that I talked to had this to say, when I do missions, it puts life in perspective. I remember who I am and who I am supposed to be. I need adjusting over and over again to see myself like God sees me and to see others how God sees them. I do missions so that when I look out into the world, I see it through God's eyes and not my own. That's what the sheep got right without realizing it, living a life of grace and compassion and mercy. As Bob and Linda Hagen say humbly in the video, it's just part of life. It's just what we do. It's who we are. That sounds like something the sheep would have said. And that's heaven, right? But pretty close to it, Jesus said, that when we have those 
six-foot-long forks and spoons. We know what to do with them. And see the person on the other side of the table. And see in them the eyes of Christ. You'll be getting in the mail in the next week or so a brochure that says commitments that will change your life. And inside you'll find lots of ways that we are invited to grow in our commitment to worship and missions and service and prayer. Small groups. We invite you to pray about how God is inviting each of us to grow in our commitments. Um, I look forward to seeing how God will grow us together. May we commit ourselves to missions and to Christ once more and again.